And for those of you who remain here in person and on the live stream, I'll invite you to turn with me to Titus chapter 2. This is the second week we're looking at these verses. Last week we uh, focused on the first eight verses. This week we're going to be doing the same. Next week we'll look at uh, verses 9 and 10. But the the whole uh, holds together. And you may remember that we talked about this chiastic structure so named because it is named after the Greek letter chi. It's called a chiism because there's this intersection in the middle. You've got the older men, he's talking about the, the older women, then the younger women, then the younger men. And, and what this chiasm shows us is at least two things. One, that there's this common thread. The whole passage is working to this main point. And we talked about that commonality of spiritual formation in all kinds of different people last week. But it also shows us how that works itself out in all these different places and in all those different levels. Uh, and so today we're going to turn our attention to how that, that common spiritual formation works itself out in all the diversity of all the different kinds of people in all the different places and stations in life we find ourselves. And so if you'll follow along in your Bibles, we'll read uh, Titus chapter 2 verses 1 through 10. This is God's word. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good. And so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity and dignity and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Slaves are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior. This is God's word. Let's pray that he would teach us this morning. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would abound to us with your kindness, that we might understand what you are calling us to in the midst of a world that is confusing and chaotic, that is full of brokenness and sin, and yet you are at work. For something greater. You are at work in your church, in your people. Show us what that means for each of us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So you may have learned in elementary school or middle school or high school, whenever you had the the life sciences, that, that healthy ecosystems depend on a lot of different things, right? If the the coastline is to be healthy, it's not just about the sand or the water. It's not just about the fish or the birds or the crabs or the, the sand dunes or the, 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 the grass that holds the sand dunes together. It's not just about the weather or the wind. It's not just about the shells. It's not just about the, the crocodiles or alligators or whatever in some beaches in some parts of the world that you might find. It's about all of it. All of it together. If you want to have a, a healthy ecosystem... 
You, you have a healthy ecosystem, not because there's just this one big thing that takes over. It's because you have all these diverse things that are interconnected in this glorious way that builds health and longevity. Well, this thing that is true in all sorts of natural ecosystems ought to be true in the church as well, because the church is supposed to be an ecosystem for spiritual formation. We're all the the diverse people from all sorts of different backgrounds of all different ages and and genders and, and stages of life united in the power of the Holy Spirit. We're to help one another grow together in Christ that we might be His body, that we might shine forth in this world with His glory, with His goodness, with His love. And that That can't be possible if it's all just about one person up front or all about one personality type or all about one socioeconomic class. It takes all different kinds, a diversity of people for God to do this work. And so what we're going to look at this morning is how this passage shows us how that that common spiritual formation That growth in Christ that we are all called to works itself out in the diversity of our lives and in the church so that we might be that healthy ecosystem of spiritual formation where God's people are growing in Him together. So we're going to consider that with three things. We're going to consider how we all, each of us, face different obstacles We, each of us, are in different stations in life, and we each have different responsibilities. And so, how do those things fit together to help us, as a church, grow in a healthy spiritual formation in Christ? Well, the first thing I want us to consider is how we face so many different obstacles and problems. I mean, you see this in this passage where... uh, Paul speaks of uh, being sound in speech so that, in verse 8, an opponent may be put to shame having nothing evil to say about us. There are those who are publicly saying very nasty things about Christians and about the church. And Paul is advising Titus to teach those in the church how to respond to that, not with Uh, more harsh words in response, but just in the way of life. But they're facing this very public opposition. There are, uh, as we read earlier in this passage, families that are being just completely overturned and disrupted. And and Paul's advice here uh, to young families is to, uh, uh, to love one another so that the word of God may not be reviled. There is this sense where the the opposition just isn't out there in the public, but it's also in the families between husbands and wives and parents and children and in these larger family communities where false teaching has come in or where people have been converted and their spouse or their other family members haven't. And and it's causing disruption and, and obstacles and problems. There's even some indication that there are these personal problems. It's uh, pretty clear in, in this book, but also from some historical records, that uh, those who lived in Crete were not known 
for their health or morality or upstandingness. And there very likely was a, a severe uh, common bend towards alcoholism uh, on that island. And so Paul is encouraging sobriety and, and for their, uh, the people in the church not to be slaves to much wine. He's addressing very particular problems that they are facing in their own personal lives. That some of these obstacles and problems that we face aren't public. They're not just in our relationships, but they're, they're in our own hearts and souls and lives. And if we look out in our world today, we see similar patterns, don't we? There are all kinds of different problems facing God's people. There are these Surveys that are talking about the the loneliness epidemic that the pandemic only accelerated and how it is having a disproportionate effect on men. There are signs that our younger generations are struggling with anxiety and depression in ways that we didn't recognize or just weren't the case in some of the older generations. There are all these different problems that are confronting all sorts of different types of people. We are living longer and longer, and with that comes different struggles and problems as we try to navigate what healthcare looks like. There's opposition to Christianity that seems to be growing, where there was a time... Where maybe, I mean, when I was in high school, it was cool to be in FCA. It was cool to go to my church youth group. And maybe that's not the case anymore. There are addictions. There are problems. There are all sorts of things that are happening in our world that reflect the things that were going on in Crete. These public, relational personal obstacles and problems that are facing people, economic problems, relational problems, all kinds of problems. What is the church supposed to do about it? You know, when I have a, a, a problem at the house, if there's a, a plumbing problem or a, something is wrong with the, the car, or I need to fix something. I, I, my go-to is YouTube, right? You just type, how do I fix, fill in the blank, and boom, there's a video. Somebody has figured out the way to fix it. And more often than not, have sh- has shown you an easy and inexpensive way to do it yourself. So I've saved all kinds of money in this way. And there is a large movement in the, the United States to think of the church in those terms. This is a place where you could come on occasion to get content about how to make your life better. And there's no shortage of content. There are, you could spend the rest of your life just trying to listen to all the Christian podcasts or watch all the apologetics videos on YouTube. There are books and books and books if people still read anymore that talk about how to, to, to address all of your problems from a a spiritual perspective. And attendance in church is, present company is accepted, I'm sure, showing that pattern where people are coming on occasion, a couple times a month, every other month, to find those answers that they seek. And the church has become sort of this 
occasional podcast for how to address the, the spiritual problems in your life. But that's not how God designed it. We don't simply need more content. Our problem is not a lack of information. I mean, think about it in in your own life. Where where is the pursuit of mere information failing to actually help you? You parents, as you're struggling to to deal with your children and, and walk with them through whatever problems they're trying to navigate, how many times have you caught yourself saying, oh, I knew better? Or with your spouses? When you know you shouldn't say the thing that you, you're, you're going to say anyway because you just can't resist it. Or with the addictions that you battle. Your short temper. Your greed and gluttony. How many times has information actually helped you? Now, information is good. There is truth. There is falsehood. Paul is teaching Titus to deal with false teachers who are presenting a false gospel. Don't hear me saying that information is bad, but it's not mere information that we need because we need transformation. We need to be changed. We need to have God himself be at work in us to shape us into something new. And what God does in the midst of all of the brokenness, in the midst of all the sin, in the midst of all of our struggles in this life, what he does to help us is he gathers a diverse group of people and he plops them together and he says, you guys, I'm putting you together so that you can grow in me. And so he's put us, a people who are in all sorts of different stations together that we might help one another not just get more information, but as the Holy Spirit works in us and through us that we might know real transformation. And the way that that works itself out in this passage is completely and utterly relational. Where the information, how the information is is presented, it, it has to be relational or it's just more factoids for you to use on Trivia Night. The church in the United States is only getting older and older. We had a presentation at Presbytery yesterday that... Uh, made a few points, and not in a very panicked way, but in a very steadfast and measured way. But there are all sorts of challenges that we're facing in our culture, in the church. Consider that if it were not for immigration, our population would be declining at a precipitous rate. Colleges and seminaries are looking out, and there are just fewer and fewer teenagers who are going to be in a position to even apply for some of these colleges. There are not as many 18-year-olds. They are graduating smaller and smaller seminary classes. There are are all sorts of problems. If you look at the demographic of the churches 
all the mainline denominations, all the, all the evangelical denominations, it's skewing older and older and older. And in 20 or 30 years, what is that going to mean for church planting? What is that going to mean for finding pastors or elders or teachers? What is that going to mean? And the answer that the scripture gives us isn't some super strategic, like, let's just have as many kids as we can and, and, and hope for the best. Although, children are a blessing from God. And there is something to be said for that. The answer is grounding ourselves in the relationships that God has placed us in here in the church where there ought to be a, a culture of apprenticeship. Right? For those of you who maybe work at the shipyard or in the apprentice school, you know how this works. You have relationships with these people who, yes, there's content. You have classroom time. They teach you stuff and you have tests and all that. And then you go and you weld or you run cable or you run wire or you do the things and somebody's like, no, 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 do it. Let me. You have these relationships that help you get better and better to be more and more formed as a welder. The church has always been set up to be a place where we are apprenticed to Christ. And it's not that Paul is calling the older Christians to tell the younger Christians, look, this is how you need to do this, and this is how you need to do that, and this is how you need to balance your checkbook, and this is the kind of car you need to buy. But it's that those who have been walking with Christ longer have a a privilege, an opportunity, a calling to look out at all of those around them and say, how can I help those around me know what it means to be an apprentice to Jesus. And that's not just about information. It's about relationship. Older men teach the younger men. He tells Titus to to show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity and dignity. Don't just say it. Walk with them and show them how it's lived out. Older women, don't just walk with Christ and grow in reverence and to grow in your faith. Also pass that on. Walk with the others who God has put in your lives. And maybe, maybe right now you have a couple of questions going through your mind. One, maybe you're wondering, which one am I? Am I the older woman or am I the younger woman? How much, how much, how much is this asking of me? And if, if I'm, if I'm supposed to do this, how, how am I supposed to do this? I don't, I don't know. I don't know enough. I don't have a seminary degree. I don't, what am I supposed to do? Well, mathematically, may, Paul's not drawing hard and fast lines, right? He's not on purpose. So just, Put that out of your head. You're always older than someone. But it's talking about not how do I pass on all of my knowledge, all of my wisdom, all of my expertise. It's talking about how do I, 
in my relationships with others in the church, allow them to connect with me so that they can see my connection to Jesus. That might be an encouragement to them as well. Now, that's not complicated. Here's my challenge to you. I, you can use this excuse for the next two months. Walk up to someone that you don't know in the church and say, the pastor said that I should say to you, hey, want to get coffee? Go get coffee. Or if you don't like coffee, get tea. Or if you don't like tea, get cheesecake. And if you don't like cheesecake, I can't help you. But go, go sit down with someone and just talk to them. Ask them their story. How did you come to Calvary? What brought you to this area? When did you come to Christ? How did you come to Christ? Did you grow up in a Christian home? Did you come to faith later? Where have you been struggling? And maybe they'll ask you some of the same questions. You can just share. And then, well, let me pray for you. And you're not pointing them to yourself. Because if you're like me, you don't have it together. You're pointing them to the Lord Jesus and showing them what it means to be an apprentice to him. Transformation requires relationship. Relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, first and foremost. But then relationship with one another. These are the two greatest commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. This, this, the church is to be a place where we are leaning into that, stepping into that by the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. And as you do that more and more, what you're going to find is just how remarkably different we all are and how remarkably the same we all are. In, in beautiful and wonderful ways. See, we all have different responsibilities and, and we're all at different places and we're all surrounded by different things. And, and we have a tendency to think about Christianity monolithically where, where the whole point of Christianity is to create a bunch of clones where we all talk the same and think the same and act the same and dress the same and drive the same cars and use the same lingo. And, and that's not what we're called to at all. Each of us is made in the image of God. And yet all of us put together in all of our diversity can't even begin to come close to reflecting all of the glorious majesty of who God is. And we need all of us in every place to, to show forth how glorious and great and infinite and mighty our God is. And what God does as he gathers us all together and helps us to to be apprentices to Jesus together, is that he then he sends us out in all kinds of different places with all sorts of different responsibilities to shine forth with the light of his glory. And this is what all these specific instructions are talking about. All right? Let's, let's start with the, the young women because that's the most controversial one, perhaps. And, and it's to my... 
annoyance that all too many people with no hint of irony have used this passage as an excuse to say the women's role is to be barefoot and pregnant in the kitchen. That's not what this is saying at all. But think about where the women in Crete are, the young women in Crete, by and large. They're in these families. Many of them have children. Many of them have husbands. Some are Christians. Some aren't. They have these responsibilities. And what Paul is saying is, learn what it means to see the love of Christ work itself out in those relationships, those who are closest to you. And this phrase, working at home, managing the home, this is written by the same apostle who knew Priscilla and Aquila and how gifted and talented Priscilla was. This is written by the same apostle who knew that it was women that went with Jesus and his band of disciples and supported them out of their own pockets in their Ministry endeavors is the same Paul who knew Lydia, the seller of purple cloth, and had read Proverbs 31, where the woman has a thriving real estate business and several uh, household servants to manage. This is, this is not a narrow thing. This is a broad thing. Those relationships that are closer to you. But then manage your home, your life, your vocation. And, and you'll notice that, that there's this expansion out into the world so that wherever you are, whatever the relationships you, you are in, that you are manifesting the love of Christ so that the word of God is not reviled. And it doesn't let the young men off the hook because it says, likewise, you also need to love your children and your spouses. You need to grow, to be self-controlled, to be those who in all respects are models of good works. But maybe you're out in the marketplace. Maybe you are at, in the home. Maybe you are a teacher or a lawyer. Maybe you are an engineer or a scientist. Maybe you're in the military or a policeman or a fireman or a doctor or a nurse or whatever it is, wherever you are in whatever station, whether you're retired or just starting to wonder what is it that you're going to do in this career that God may be calling you to, whether you're a student or even at home, whatever responsibilities you have, God has placed you there to shine forth the light of who he is. And to learn to be dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and steadfastness. Because God has called the church to be a place where we don't just grow in Christ-likeness, but we image Christ to a world that desperately needs to know who he is and what he is able to do. Look, our culture doesn't really know how to handle diversity. We talk about diversity a lot in our culture, and yet we get more and more polarized, more and more angry at one another, more and more stratified in our politics or our classes or our races or our genders or whatever. Like, we, we don't, like, as a culture, like, we know diversity is a thing and we shouldn't, we shouldn't be threatened by it. But it seems like the, the more we talk about it, the more divided we get. 
Because the only thing that really, truly can unite us together eternally is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And the church is to be a place where people of all backgrounds, of all races, of all classes, are united together in him, spurring one another on in love and good deeds. Or to be a place where, how great would it, would it be if, if people applied to the apprentice school and we said, yeah, this is like the church except for welding. <laughs> place where apprenticing is normal. This is what it means to to grow, to be with and like Jesus. To be a a healthy ecosystem of spiritual formation that goes out into the real world and shows what God can do. May God make us into such a place. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we need your grace. We are not up for this task. Lord, so often the problems and obstacles that we face seem insurmountable. The the differences between us seem irreconcilable. The responsibilities that each of us have are, are often so overwhelming. Lord, it's hard to see straight. It's hard to know where to go, what to do. And yet, you call us to something gloriously straightforward to grow in our love for you, to grow in our love for one another, to help one another as the Spirit leads in that endeavor. Lord, make us bold. Give each of us here eyes to see someone that we don't know well enough, someone that we could just say, let's grab coffee or tea or cheesecake or whatever. And let's just learn what it means for the older to mentor the younger. Not because they have all the answers, because they have the Lord Jesus. Help moms to think about that with their children. Help parents, Lord, uh, to just overflow with love to their kids, husbands and wives, fathers and mothers. Help us to know how to do that with our society, to invite them into that glorious apprenticeship. Lord, we can't do all that, but you can. Make us into such a place that we might shine forth with the glory of Jesus. We ask it in his name. Amen.